You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Second down and two, the handoff to Penny. At the 15, at the 10, at the 5, he's in! Touchdown, Seahawks! Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and 10 at the Seattle 40, play fake Stafford. Going to stop, going to look, gets hit, goes down, back in midfield. Getting to him in the backfield is Daryl Taylor. Presented by Delta, the official airline of the Seahawks. Now, here's your host, Jen Mueller. We'll get you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday, but right now we are getting you ready for the Seahawks draft. It is a big one. John Boyle from Seahawks.com is here with me to help break it down and maybe set some expectations or level set. Which one are we doing today? Either or. We could do both. I don't know. Let's, I mean, there's I, a lot that's happening. Why set? Let, let's just hype it up and let everyone go crazy. Who needs to level set and, you know? Let's, See, this is a let's little over-hype bit opposite it. of let's our personalities. Hype. I know. I'm a little downplay it and then let's over deliver. You're the hype man that's like, I've never in my life been called a hype man before. Well, today, today you are the hype man. (laughs) And there has been a lot that has happened since the last time you and I chatted, including the addition of a number of free agents and the Seahawks releasing some fan favorites and some names that we had gotten used to around Seattle. Let's just run through a list of the free agent signings that could end up all of them could end up playing significant roles. Evan Brown, the center, gets signed from Detroit. Linebacker Devin Bush comes over to join that defense. Draymond Jones on the defensive line. Jaron Reed comes back after spending a few years away. And Julian Love, the safety, is signed. And there's Bobby Wagner. I was about to say, we're forgetting one of their linebackers. I wasn't forgetting. I okay. was saving the best for last. Right, the fan favorite for last. Yes. Bobby Wagner returns. You sat and listened to all of those press conferences and had a chance to meet them. What what is your initial impressions of why these signings are the right ones for Seattle right now? I mean, they vary a little bit case to case. I think, you know, some of these are just kind of clear need guys, but some of them I think too are just really good football players who happen to be good fits schematically, culture-wise with the team. You know, you look at like Julian Love. Okay, safety's not necessarily the biggest need, but then you listen to the coaches and John Schneider talk about him. And it's like, okay, yeah, we have two really good safeties already in Jamal Adams and Quandary Diggs, but man, this guy's just a hell of a football player and he was available at a price that we thought we could do. And then, you know, you then you talk to him and just, he's a guy that's going to fit in well, really, I'm sorry, a guy who's going to fit in really well here just the, the culture here, his personality. I think fans are going to like him a lot. Well, and I am such a planner, and I want to know how everything is going to work out. But I love the fact that Pete Carroll and John Schneider are like, no, let's just bring in the talent. We will figure it out later. Trust us. We'll figure it out later. Yeah, we get we got all kinds of plans, and, and uh, we have some variables to deal with that are really positive. You know, got guys with a lot of flexibility, and we love that, you know, that we were able to move some guys around. So um, I think Julian coming in is, is, you know, you wonder, well, how are you going to play them? We, we'll figure that out. We're excited about that. And uh, Jamal has been such a dynamic player in, in his the variables that he brings. Um, you know, he he's opened us up, and we're wide open to some different things that we can do. So... Um, <clears throat> Julian's a very flexible football player. You, you guys might forget, but Quandre was a, was a nickel, you know, coming up, and he's got all of that background too. So we have, it's going to be hard to tell what we're doing with these guys for a while until you know we'll get zeroed in. The opponents will get zeroed in on us, but uh, we're really excited about what, the chance of putting it all together. I, I know Jen Mueller did not forget that Quandre. I did Diggs not. I would never up. forget that. I am. If we can rewind a minute, I'm so mad at myself that talking about Julian Love a minute ago, I said this is a guy fans are going to really like. 
His name's Love. I yeah. just left that on the... Come I'm disappointed on. in myself. I, I'm disappointed in myself if, that I didn't catch if, it. I was too busy. If anyone is yeah. good for a bad, really terrible pun, a it's dad me. joke. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm well, disappointed. That happens. Sometimes. But going back to the point they're making, yeah, it's you know I think you know initially there was this thought of oh they're bringing Julian Love they're going to cut one of these high price safeties and Pete Carroll was quick to dismiss that at the league meetings. They said no, they you know they want three guys out there a lot. It's what they planned on last year, and then unfortunately Jamal Adams gets hurt week one and. It, threw a wrench in their plan. So I think they just love the idea of getting three really good safeties out there at the same time. And also it gives you more depth if something were to happen to one of those guys. And, and thirdly, I think we're seeing more and more in what they want to do schematically, but just in the NFL as a whole, there's a really kind of blurred line now between what an off-ball linebacker and a kind of box safety is doing. And I noticed this, I think John Schneider's done on two different occasions. He'll be asked about something having to do with what they're going to do linebacker with Devin Bush or what they're going to do at safety. And he'll start talking about both those guys, like almost interchangeably. And I think that's a lot of what they want to do schematically is you're, you want a safety playing in the box. Like we saw Jamal Adams in camp last year and in week one. So I, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how that kind of unfolds with those two positions. Well, and it does change a little bit. The needs Seattle has going into the draft. Here's what else changes that the players they've released to make yeah. room. There, there's some big names and some big bodies that are not on the roster yeah. anymore. Yeah, I mean, you let Al Woods go in a, in a cost-saving move, guy that you know the Seahawks love, fans love. Shelby Harris gone too. Puna Ford is still unsigned as a free agent. You know, they let Quentin Jefferson go as well. So in terms of that interior line, they 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 know there's work to be done. Whether it's you know the doors open to maybe re-signing guys, bringing some guys back. If if you don't do that, you're probably going to want to draft some guys as well. It's yeah that I mean you look at right now they don't really have. Especially with Brian Monet coming off that knee injury, I was just about to say he's a guy they really like, but you're you're not counting on him for the start of the year. So you you really don't have like uh, you can't really field the type of defense they want right. right now with what you have on the roster. Yeah, in that injury to Brian Monet, that was late in the season. That Thursday night game against the 49ers. So his recovery is certainly not at the beginning of training camp. Miles Adams played on the interior last year, but he's a little bit light for an interior guy. So certainly they're looking for some big bodies in the middle I do think it's interesting though how John Schneider talked about evaluating talent and kind of what that all means and I guess common denominators is how you might say it of any successful draft class that he's had over the last several years yeah the competitors and the people I mean I think that you know we can all we can sit and evaluate you know the the uh, strengths and deficiencies of prospects um, and debate that and that's that it, the film kind of is what it is and then knowing who the person is and not uh, trying uh, not trying to push players uh, based on uh, specific needs yeah it's you know we've heard John Schneider say it over the years and it's it sounds almost cliche at this point but it's true it's like the hardest thing to do is get to know the person there's plenty of people around the country who watch a lot of football tape who know what they're talking about when they see what a guy does but until you really do the work to get to know the guys and know, you know, how are they going to handle success and failure in the NFL? What's their motivation? How much do they really love the sport versus, you know, they want to get a lot of money out of the sport, which that's great too, if that's your motivation, but there's just a lot of factors involved and getting that right is sometimes the hardest part and what can be sort of the key to unlocking the class. And that's what they feel like with last year's class. They just got a lot of great competitors, you know, throughout the draft, just guys who, 
love the game and are just competitive, not backing down from a challenge. And we saw a lot of rookies come in and win jobs right away with that attitude. Here's the thing I think that gets missed when we talk about draft and you start talking about best available. Mm -hmm. Best available is best available based on the team's evaluation because it goes to what you're saying. You could have an entire team that is comprised of whoever was best available on the draft board. If they do not fit the culture, if they do not fit the position group, if they don't fit the attitude, you're going to have a whole bunch of guys out for individual sort of accolades mm -hmm. and their own thing. And I've talked to GMs about this. And so we need to be careful when you start saying, yeah, but he's the best one there. Well, is he the best one for you? Because if he's not, then you've essentially wasted a pick. And it does not matter how much money you paid him now. You're committing a lot of money and a lot of resources in the Seahawks position it, on first-round picks. Yeah, and also, I, I think it's worth pointing out, too, that, that this idea of best available, like the way the Seahawks grade and the way a lot of teams do, need is kind of baked into the formula. So right. you're not looking at, you're not diverging from your board after it's set of like, okay, we have this defensive end ranked in the third round, but we want one, we're going to take them the first round. But in the initial setting of that board, they are factoring in need, not so much because they want to be reaching for players, but they're looking at, Okay, part of the process of valuing this guy is how soon can he come in and compete yes. for a job? Where does he fit in in that standpoint? And so if there's need there, that does create more opportunities for guys, and they tend to, you know, the way they grade, they're a little higher up. So there is a, a need factor kind of baked into the equation, but they're not just strictly based going off position when they're drafting. And a great example of that is Abe Lucas. Yeah. We all knew they were probably going to draft tackle with the or good chance of a tackle with that first pick when they took Charles Cross. But when you got to the third round, I, I was fortunate enough to be in the draft room for a story I was working on for some of the first days of the draft. And truly, Abe Lucas was just kind of up there on his own on their draft board. Like, they just had a higher grade on him than anybody. So tackle wasn't the highest priority at that point. It was like, okay, look, we, we've got this guy just graded so highly right now. Let's go get him. Well, and I do love the fact that Pete and John have been together for so many years. They've been together for 14 years. Certainly, I, they can probably read each other's minds in the draft room. But I found it so interesting to hear how their process has changed and how they've evolved together. We've changed some grades uh, towards the bottom of the draft. And then uh, rookie free agency, we've tried to clean that up. We went through a period where we had a lot of guys on the board. We had more guys. So we thought that was more opportunity, which became more cluttered and trying to then we We've really kind of, the last several years now, we've really, all right, let's, like, who are the guys that are true Seahawks? I think that's maybe the biggest that's clear kind of, difference. Is, I think that's fair, right? Is, is, yeah, zeroing in on on the personnel, the, the, the people, really. I think John's guys, and that's why we have a fewer number to pick from. Uh, we've really circled the wagons in, in, in a way that we've, it's about the guys and who they are and as much as we can possibly figure that out. And it's, it seems like it gives us the best uh, insights to what we're doing. That process started back, I think it was in 2018, John Shire first brought up the idea of kind of just paring down the draft board. And it does really help to the point Schneider made in those later rounds. Like, look, everybody with a TV and an internet connection can have a pretty good gauge of who the top 10 guys in a draft are. But when you start getting to those day three, none of those guys are perfect prospects. So how do you get to know them? How do you get to know what's going to make differentiate a Tariq Wollin from a fifth round pick who never plays in the NFL? And that's you know, one thing they really like about how they did kind of streamline the draft process. I have a story about Tariq Woolen, but just I want one. 
but I, I have multiple. Have I have multiple, but this is a recent story. A, a this happened. Story? Uh, it's a first yes. pitch story. But I do want to point out, I thought it was interesting when he said, we thought more guys meant more opportunities mm-hmm. on the draft board. What they've really done is gotten very clear as to what a Seahawk player looks yeah, like. And, exactly. and I think that, that that to me is just kind of interesting because if you don't know what that is, and they have hit. And I wonder... Do you think, because you've sat in that draft room, do you think it's because they've gotten so much better at defining what that is, or they've changed their specs just a little bit because they were willing to look at DBs that maybe, corners in particular, Tariq is not a good example of this, right? (laughs) That did not necessarily fit that early idea of from Pete and John on what that looked like back in the Legion of Boom days. Yeah, you know, I think it's kind of all those things. The, the, the cornerback one in particular, it, that's interesting because it wasn't draft so much as a, a free or a waiver claim addition and DJ Reed that sort of had them start it, to see yeah. it. But then they did go out and draft Trey Brown, who's a smaller guy, but who had every, you know, Seahawks trait they love about him as a competitor and, a, a, you know, a skilled, you know, defensive back, playmaker, all those things. So, um, yeah, I just think it's... You know, it's not one thing. It's just sort of this constant evolution. And sometimes it's getting back to what maybe worked for you earlier. Sometimes it's just as simple as having more draft capital. I don't think it's a coincidence that one of their best drafts in a decade was a draft where they had the number nine pick and two high second round picks and just all this extra draft capital. It's it's easier to draft good players when you're picking higher in rounds. And that's fortunately a situation they're in again this year, thanks to a trade they made last year. Well, and Tariq Woolen has been called the steal of the draft in 2022, having been a fifth-round pick. Yeah. So for all of your high draft capital or, or high picks, it's the guy in the fifth round. Now, let me tell you my, my Tariq story, okay? All and right. then we're going to get back to picking and evaluating talent. So Tariq throws out the first pitch at the Mariners game, right? Saw it. So I interviewed Had a little arc on it. Yep. Had, well, his plan was just to get it there. He's like, look, as long as you get it to the plate, it does not matter. I asked him before he threw out the first pitch if he had experience on a baseball field. Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah, true. Played baseball when I was like 10 years old. Tallest kid on the field. They called me TTP, too tight pants. I like it. Because I was so tall, my pants didn't fit right. And then he said, I mean, I could hit dingers. And I told the Mariners I could pinch run for them anytime they want. I just loved it. It was so great. Man, he could steal a few bases. He could steal a few bases. Technique might not be like as refined as some of the top base stealers in the game. But he also said, and this is what excites me most about him. He's finally had an offseason now where he can train, he can rest, he can recuperate, he can like reflect. Yeah, he's going to be so good. I mean, you think about like and even be at the same position like he's been doing position switches in recent years, too. So, it's yeah, there's there's a lot to love, not just about what he did last season, but about the player he's going to develop it to. And then just such a great kid. too. You know what? The only thing that disappointed me about the entire interview when I was talking to him. What's that? He didn't drop a shoot. Shoot. Not even once. I hope he doesn't get rid of that. I hope not. Whoever works with him needs to make sure that that stays in. But if we bring this back around to the conversation about the draft that's taking place this week, look, to find a, I'm just going to say diamond in the rough, like Tariq Woolen, I can only imagine the amount of work that has to be done Mm -hmm. because you are sorting through and sifting through a lot of players with maybe not as much film as guys who played in the SEC or, or Big 12 or whatever it is. It is different for the Seahawks drafting 
in the first round. Mm -hmm. Here's what John says. And then I want to get your thoughts on a couple of things. I would say way more exciting. You know, I think there's, there's so much more research that goes into it. You know, last year, obviously picking, you know, where we picked, but uh, there's, there's levels all throughout this, you know, all throughout every round. And obviously in the first round, there's, there's, there's specific levels every year. And you have to evaluate the classes. So, and every class is completely different. So being up there with a fifth pick, I think is, is uh, it's just really exciting. And you're, you have way more uh, coverage and accessibility to uh, all the prospects. So does that make it easier or harder? I know that you've got to nail this pick. I know that there's a different level of expectation with this pick. Is it easier or harder, do you think, when you've got more information on those first-round talents? I mean, in theory, it should be easier, but it's one of those if you almost like overdo it and you get in your own head and overthink things, it's, you know, that I wouldn't know what that feels like at all. It's Do funny, I like, I, I feel like having to pick this high is a great, like, litmus test for, and maybe this is just me spending too much time on Twitter, but, like, how optimistic or pessimistic of a human being are you? Because oh. it's, like, the amount of people who, I think, fret over the f number five pick as, like, this chance to screw up and this huge opportunity you could blow versus the idea of, like, and, like, the pressure of it versus this, like, what a cool opportunity, like, the Pete Carroll approach of, like, this is the greatest opportunity we've had to draft a guy and you know, sort of looking at the bright side of it, like we got to stab it. You know, John Schneider talked about these shelves and like, he's not explicitly saying this, but one thing that happens when you're picking the 20 sometimes is you don't have a first round graded player available right. to you at your pick. And that's a big reason you see teams trade back a lot from that position. You're going to have a guy that you think is a truly elite first round, you know, top 10 caliber guy available, no matter what happens to you in those first four picks. And that's a pretty cool opportunity. The Seahawks have not had much in Carolyn Schneider's tenure here. You talk about Pete Carroll's optimism. I drafted Pete Caroline and my mom last week. <laughs> she was trying to explain something. And I said, well, that's a good thought to have. Yeah. And she was like, what? I was <laughs> like, well, I've listened to Pete for a lot of years, mom. That's a, it's a good thought to have. When you think about that first round opportunity yes. for the Seahawks, where do quarterbacks fit into this conversation? I mean, they're in there. And it's weird because you have a guy that just made the Pro Bowl and then you signed to a multi-year deal who you really like in Geno Smith. But that position has become so important in the NFL. And this is a franchise that just doesn't, fortunately, does not earn, quote unquote, those top five draft picks. You, They've picked in the top 10. This will be the third time. The first one was a pick they inherited from the previous regime. The next one was a pick they got from Denver in the Russell Wilson trade. This is also a pick from the Russell Wilson trade. So as important as quarterbacks are in this sport, the really good ones, ten. I mean, guys obviously hit in later rounds, but the best chance to get a really good one is to take one early. So they're... They've done all their homework. They've been very public about it. We've seen, you know, the selfies at the pro days, all that stuff. And they've talked about it pretty openly. If one, if I don't know who the guy they like is, but whoever it is of those top four we keep hearing about, if one or two of those guys is available and you are really convinced that can be a long-term franchise Pro Bowl caliber quarterback, you you got to really strongly consider it. I, As much as you have bigger needs on this team, most notably the defensive line, I would be fine taking a quarterback there just because that position is so darn important. And if you hit on it, what that can do for franchise going forward is so much bigger than any other position. Okay, I'm going to throw this one at you. Yes. I'm not going to disagree that you have to have a franchise quarterback. Yes. Knowing that nothing is guaranteed in sports, right? And that injuries happen and trades happen and, and lots of different things happen. 
What happens if you had the chance to get a playmaker on the defensive side of the ball that pushes you over the edge for the next two years before one of those potential franchise quarterbacks is available? Is it worth it? Uh, and uh, when I say available, like as, yeah. as your starter, who you know yeah. has the grasp of the offense that you need to succeed. I mean, from what we saw from Geno Smith last year, like, yeah, I love the idea. Just get, get a great defensive player, especially somebody up front. And you're, you're definitely better in the short term. You know, in 2023, when the NFC looks pretty wide open, we just saw Aaron Rodgers get traded today. There's like, there's not a lot By of... By the way, that's not breaking news. That's no, but news. it's finally, you know, somewhat, not even official, but agreed upon. But the point being, like, outside of your own division with the 49ers and, you know, the, obviously the Eagles are the defending champs, there's, there are not, like, a huge number of big juggernaut teams in the NFC where you're like, oh, the Seahawks have so much to grow and overcome to be in that category. And I think Geno Smith gives you a great chance to win right now and in the short-term future. So I would love the idea of if if you're sold on a pass rusher, an interior defense line, whatever, just go get that. But I also really see the argument for quarterback and would have no problems with going that route as well. Also, I'm glad I put you on the spot because I'm not going to yeah, take a guess I mean, on this one. Like well, I'm, I'm not just going to let them I, tell me I'm not what they're going to do I on think Thursday. Will happen, but. I'm just going to let them tell me. You know what else, though? We need to talk Bobby Wagner for just a hot second before we wrap this up, because wherever Bobby plays on the field, however many snaps he gets this year, one thing is for certain, Seattle is in a great position right now with the draft class that you had last year and the draft class that's coming in to make a, 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 a uh, what am I looking, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, a massive no impression idea. in the future. I know. I'm <laughs> I'm missing the word. Bobby Wagner is a leader that is going to have an impact on oh, these sure. young kids. Yeah. So I'm excited to have him back. And everybody in the building is too. It's really exciting to have him back. He's really fired up to be here and be part of it and reconnect and all. And he's you know, he, you can see him. He's uh he's he's got new eyes looking at us, you know, because he's been through another experience and so um, I think his appreciation for you know the time he spent and the things that we've done and all is kind of coming forward, and so he's um, he's been really it's, it's been really good. Every time he pops in, you know he pops in like he always does. He's always been around a lot, and uh, so when he does it again, he gets everybody a lift. You know he's really positive influence. I think it's undeniable the the impact he's going to have just on that whole locker room, and I, I do think there might be something to it almost being better that he's gone for a year and comes back. Yeah, there's the part Pete Carroll said about he's seen with different eyes, and, and that's all true. But I think maybe for the guys who came in last year or were, became bigger leaders last year, like I think there's an opportunity for a guy like Quandre Diggs to step into a bigger leadership role. There's maybe an opportunity for young guys to develop without this massive figure. Not that Bobby Wigner did anything like negative to cause us. It's just who he is when you are a six-time first-team All-Pro, yeah. a walking Hall of Famer. Like, you take up a lot of it, space. Yeah, it just yep. changes the dynamic of a locker room. So you let this young team last year kind of come together, this defense, figure some things out as a group, and then you bring Bobby Wagner back in. It's like, oh, wow, that's Bobby Wagner. He's going to make us better on the field. He's going to teach us some stuff. Like I, I just love the dynamic of him coming back this year and what that can do for the team transformative there you go was a word that, that would have been a great grasping. word like a minute ago right like two minutes ago transformative would have been super impactful now Whatever. it's I, just i a missed little out bit on the late. love pun so i'm not uh, we are we are not in mid-season form, oh, yeah. but we don't have to be because it is the off season and the seahawks are giving us plenty to talk about 
We've got the draft coming up in a few days, and I think we should probably... Oh, shoot, that's this week? That's, oh, yeah, clear the calendar. Oh, I don't know what to boy, tell what you. what am I oh, going to do? Yeah, I, uh, I hope you can uh, make some time in your busy schedule for that, and we should probably make some time after the draft to break that down. Deal? Yes, absolutely. All right, that is the next time you will hear from us. Thanks for joining us on this edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast.